0: It was uh, about 8.30 on the weekend during the lockdown, and uh, I wanted to do something I've done often. I wanted to add salt to the water softener. Welcome to Stouffville. <laughs> so I go downstairs to the uh, furnace room. We all have a furnace room, right? We all go down there and uh, open the door. But ours is quite unique. You, you go in, and I may have to actually move my little... Uh, for this opening story. Uh, so you, you, you open the door, and, but you can't go too far because there's just this little nook on the other side of the door. So let me just, I go inside the door, and then you gotta close the door behind you. And uh, you, you're, you're there, and, and this is a pantry where we keep our Costco things. And so that just stuff right there. And then uh, over here, you actually have the water softener. But, and I've done it before too, so it's like a two-step kind of a thing. You've you got to go over to it, and then you've taken off the plastic lid, and you turn, and then you make sure you've got your, your salt right here on the bottom, and you make sure you get your scissors and it's open everything else. And then you turn, and then you go and you put it on the freezer, just the lid. And then you reach down, and you lift up this very heavy salt, and then you turn, and you, you, you put it into the water softener. So, uh, As I'm putting the lid on the freezer, for whatever reason, uh, I knock off this wooden frame that's on a hook above the freezer. And uh, it falls right back in behind the freezer. Now, why I don't leave it there, I I don't know. (laughs) Don't wreck the story. But it, so it falls behind the freezer. So I'm like, okay. So I, I reach over the salt bag, over the freezer, and I'm trying to get, and I I, I, I fish out the Steve Fish, the the actual wooden frame. And I'm like, okay, good. Do I put it back on the hook? Oh, no, no. I put it, and I lean it against product placement, Costco, pantry, we? So I I do it, I, I take this, Heavy. Why isn't Benjamin doing this? And I'm turning, and I'm coming over to the one, and I fill it, and it's all good. And I turn, and I go, okay, got one more, and the other one is out in the hall. So I turn, and I leave. And I open the door, do this little thing. I come out, and as I'm leaning down to get the next bag, I hear this—not a crash. No, no, that would be too too dramatic. But something has fallen over. I'm like, what is that? So I, I leave the bag, I turn, and I go to the door, and the door is now stuck. There is a door that is shut and no one can open. There is this crack between like, the, the framing of the door, the door, and you can't quite put your hand in, like, not in a man hand, like, no, you can't quite in. The, and I'm like, okay, what, what happened? <clears throat> so the wooden frame off the hook behind the freezer that was placed in front of the pantry shelving had fallen over and it had a had conversation with the sock from the dryer that you can never find and they plotted against me <laughs> and that wooden frame it fell down like it was measured and it fell and it was now lodged between the pantry shelving and the door And it was not going anywhere. And I'm pushing it, and I'm pushing it, and it is stuck. I can do this. Now, perhaps you've been on a trip with your husband, and you get lost. Do you ask for directions? Oh, no, no, no. I got this. Even though I have resources in the house. Beth is much better at this. I got this. I don't, I don't mention this, no, I got this. So I go and I find tools, and this and that, and I'm trying to do this, and I get an old wire hanger, and I unfold it, and try to do the fish thing, and the little hook at the end, and try to pull, and no, nothing is working. And as the time ticks, we're like the minute 15 mark, a little bit of stress, like this is, this is, this is pretty serious. No access to the furnace to change the filter, nothing from the freezer nothing from the pantry, all the things. And I'm like, I have got this. So I call my buddy, he can't come across the street because we're in lockdown, but I take a video of it and it's okay, I explain what's going on, this whatever, and he's trying to help me, but that's like, you know, call a friend and that's not working. So I'm, and every time I kind of go past Beth, I'm like, "Mm," mmm, I just keep going. And I get, more, I get more tools. I get this. I get a flathead screwdriver. I get the actual painting on the roller thing. It's got the little thing, and there's a twist thing. I put a little paint stick on it and a little zip tie and try to do that. That's the guy from across the street's idea. Nothing is working. And, 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 and like panic is setting in. What am I going to do? And again, Beth and I, we're not, this is, this is a good day. We're not, we're not upset with each other, but I haven't reached out. I just don't want her to ask for chicken from the freezer. Like, that's not going to work. So sure enough, on my last little trip up to get something, I come back and Beth happens to say something, and she's kind of coming into the conversation at this level. I've got, a little bit of, I've got a little bit of a runway. I've got like 59 minutes worth of frustration. I've called a friend. Nothing is working. And so I meet her here. Beth, we have a door that is closed and no one can open. Let me give it a try. I'm like, yeah, okay, good. So I'm starting to kind of put away a few things, whatever. And I was like, I'm not sure how long it was. But it was minutes. I come back down the stairs and Beth, don't make the story. <laughs> Beth is down here. She's down like this and she has my wire coat hanger. She has that. And sure enough, for whatever, whatever, she's able to, and then, and this and that, and then like that. And she goes, John, I think I've got it. And what's the typical male response? (laughs) I must have loosened it. (laughs) You know, okay, now I tell that story for two reasons. Reason number one, meet your newly elected elder. (laughs) Now whose role or position or who's not on the board anymore? Tony Miles. Who has, for nine years, taken care of this whole building, <laughs> maintenance, building across the way, pull it down, and all the things? Tony, don't go anywhere. You're still connected, right? <laughs> I have other gifts, but Tony, I'm not, I'm not that guy. And some of you are thinking, can we get like a, a recount on the elder's ballot, maybe a recall or something? That was reason number one. Meet your new elder. Reason number two: there is a door that no one can open, and those are the words of Jesus to the church at Philadelphia in Revelation chapter three, verses seven to thirteen, and we find it in verse eight. We are in a series, and the name of the series is here. You see it on the on the the uh, screen there. The Spirit. And that comes from the book of Revelation on the letters to the churches. And there are seven letters. And uh, ours happens to start in verse 7, and it runs to verse 13. And ours is the church of Philadelphia, and it is called the Persevering Church. And as you saw in that very dramatic bumper video, when I walked on the stage, I'm like, where am I? Dramatic music. And each one had a banner over it. And last week, Pastor Daniel, he kicked us off with the series and we started with the Book of Ephesus, or the, the uh, Church to Ephesus. So we're in the Church to Philadelphia. Now, some of these are all going to start to run together because you're like, okay, you even saw the kids trying to keep it all straight. And so I just want to take a couple of minutes just to orientate yourself, orientate you to what we're talking about here. It's big picture. So it's on, if you're on your iPad, kind of a thing, you've opened up the first big screen. And on the first big screen, you see all seven churches and you've got ESPTSPL, right? You've got Ephesus, you've got Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, then you have me, Philadelphia, and then you have Laodicea, right? Now, you have those all before you, and there's seven of them, and they all have kind of the same kind of a look to them. There's a structure because they're letters. They're gonna have a beginning, they're gonna have a middle, and then are gonna have an end. And as you're looking at this, you have the Church of Philadelphia, that is actually located in modern-day Asia, modern-day Turkey, pardon me, in Asia. And let's look at a map there. And you see where it is located. Now, there are some great resources that were mentioned last week. You can jump on right now Media, and you can see and you can understand different ways. And uh, there was one there on the church at Philadelphia called The Enduring Church, The Persevering Church. So again, there's lots of resources that are there. I jumped in on different resources, so what you're hearing today... It's just a bunch of information that other people have put together for me. I'm just kind of putting it out there. Good information. I I encourage you to jump in there and to see it. So we are now looking today at the church at Philadelphia. So if you have your Bibles or your device and you want to follow along, please do so as we jump in and talk about this specific church. Church number six of seven. It was, and you can go to the next slide, you can show us the church there, where the churches are. You see them all laid out there in Asia Minor. And it was a Saturday afternoon in September 2014, where I was at a celebration of life at the Dixon Funeral Home, Dixon um, Funeral Home there on um, Markham Road. And I was there, and I was joining other people who were celebrating the life of Richard Dick Northcott. Some of you were there. I know Dave Pomeroy was there because Dave Pomeroy gave a great tribute to his good friend, golfing partner, choir member friend, all the kinds of things, telling great stories. We all laughed. And I was there because I'd grown up with Rob. We were in the same youth group. And uh, Heather's there, the mom, Virginia, you know, friends call her Ginger. Some of you were actually there. And as I'm listening to this, I hear a great story from Heather, who's talking about da- her dad, who was a long-time history teacher at Markham District High School, and he was known as Mr. Northcott. He taught there for 25 years, and I'm listening to all this. I'm a dad, you know, got any young kids. This is like seven years ago, and as I'm listening, all of a sudden she says something that just kind of catches my attention. She said, "You know what we used to do on our summer vacations? My dad would take us to these must-see historical sites and monuments." and architectural wonders on our summer vacations. Other people are doing swimming lessons, all these other things. We're in Europe looking at an open field, and people are taking pictures, and I'm like, Dad, Dad, why are we here? There's nothing here. And you go, oh, oh, Heather, Heather. There's a key moment in history, changed the world history on this very site. I'm not sure if Heather and the family got a chance to get to this church at Philadelphia, but there's not much there. And Heather would say, Dad, what are we looking at? We don't have the pictures of last week from Daniel, the big excavations of Ephesus. There's not much when you look at the excavations of the church at Philadelphia, but it was there. And it was interesting, it was prospering this church for about, until about A.D. 17, 17, 17, And then there was this incredible big earthquake that took out about 12 different cities, villages in that region of where it's located there. So they actually rebuild on top of that rubble, that church, or that little, that little village. And that's where it is, and that's where we pick up our story. That that little place that had these... Uh, these uh big earthquakes that had happened there and, and the aftershocks of that that was pretty dramatic and you got that if you were looking at the videos on the enduring church it talked about how they were quite uh, apprehensive about being there now as we look at that we look at the at the, uh, the text that's in front of you and i laid it out like seven deck of cards and you can see those deck of cards there i've, I've, I've made arrangements for that go ahead there uh, tosh and so, Tasha, when I go like this, we're just going to keep flipping, okay? So there are the seven verses, 7 to 13. Let's just clean this up really quick. Let's just look at the structure of the, of the churches. Here's, here's how it's going to work. There's a, a specific structure. They're all going to start with this statement. And to the angel at the church of blank, write. Write because it is a letter. So any given city, you're going to have the little blank. So and to the angel at the church at blank right. That's the opening. And then there's this thing called a preamble. We'll get to that. There's this is preamble. And then Jesus is going to actually give them six promises. And at the very end of all the letters you're going to have, and we'll turn there now in verse 13. If you look at verse 13, it actually says this 13 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. So I'm encouraging you now, let's, as you understand, and, and, and the series continues, that's going to be the structure, how it's going to start. The opening is going to be a church name, and then there's, there's going to be this actual content that's going to run, some run longer than others, and at the very end, there's going to be this summary statement. And the third reoccurring element that's there are the words, I know your works, and you can see that there on the next slide. I know your works. Jesus is saying, I'm aware of your situation. I'm aware. I see you. I'm aware of your situation. That's the structure. Let's jump right in now as we continue. And go ahead, Tosh, to the next slide. And he says, okay, I know who you are. And we don't know much about the church at Philadelphia. Everything we know about the Church of Philadelphia is found in this little verse right here, verse eight. This is it. It says, I'm gonna say three things about you, three behaviors, three things I've recognized in you. Here they come. Number one, you have but little power. It's a small church. It's not a very influential church. You have but little power. Yet, this is good news, yet you have done two things. Here comes number two and number three. Yet you have, what? Kept my word and not denied my name. Good news, Church of Philadelphia. In fact, the Church of Philadelphia has no negative, no condemnation, anything connected to it. It's all good news. So it opens... Chapter 3, verse 7 says, and to the angel of the church at Philadelphia, write. Then there's going to be a preamble, and then he says, okay, pause, let me just step out of verse 7, and then to 8, he says, I know stuff about you. I'm aware of three things about you. You're small. Number two, you've kept my word. Number three, you haven't denied my name. Way to go. Even though you're weak, I'm going to come alongside, and I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to come, and I'm going to encourage you. Now, a little bit of background on to who the the actual members of this church are. So here's what's going on. When Jesus and the disciples, that period sort of concludes, and we read that in in, in the Acts of the Apostles and all that. In that first century, Jews are actually fleeing persecution, and they're just going wherever they can go. And they actually go north up to Asia Minor. And they're up there. And they're trying to find places. And the Jews who are Jews are trying to do what? They're going to go and they're going to build their own synagogues and have a place to worship. So they're there. So these early Christians are part of that. They're in these synagogues. Because in the early, early days of all of this, these are, they're just, it's just a Jewish sect. So come on in, we'll be part of the synagogue together. But as the years go by, and a few things start to happen, these Christian Jews are actually now doing what? They're preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number two, they're proclaiming that Jesus really is the Messiah. And number three, their friends and their neighbors are starting to convert to Christianity and the church is starting to grow. And the Jewish synagogue rulers are like, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. We're going to put this to a close. You're messing with this. You're saying Jesus is king, the emperor's king, and we're just—we're not. In fact, we're not going to allow you to be any more part of the synagogue. You can't. You got to stop coming. In fact, when you come and knock on the door, we're going to kind of peek through the peephole, and if you're there, we're going to keep the door closed. You can't come in. And so, these early Christians at the church at Philadelphia—they have no access into the synagogue. They can't get in there. But you just don't go to the synagogue for, like the, like, the religious stuff. You want to go there for the social. This is a place where things happen. This is like a, a, the social community center. And they're, they're, they're ostracized from that. They're alienated. They're excluded. They're kicked out. They're not welcome back. And again, Jesus is saying, I know your works. I know your works. Now, to, to make this... A little bit more memorable. I thought of this. Here's the next one. I thought of this. A little memory trigger. And that is, these Christians in the church at Philadelphia could be a lot like you, could be a lot like me. They're in this culture, and they are, to use the phrase, they are swimming upstream. We get that from nature, you know, with, with the fish, they swim up. And they're trying to go, and they're, trying, they're, they're, they're going against. There's some resistance, and they're trying to do and they, all kinds of things. And then you see the salmon jumping and all the kinds of things, that kind of idea, swim. And God says, I know your works. I know. And here we go, Tosh. I know you're struggling. I know you're weak. I know you're feeling insignificant. And you're mocked, marginalized but keep pressing on, keep swimming upstream. I wanna encourage you, I wanna encourage you in that. And so he says, Jesus says, okay, we've launched the letter, I know who you are, verse eight, I know the three things about you, I know, I'm aware of all of that. And before I get to some promises, there's six of them, I need to do a little preamble. And the preamble is actually found in verse 7. It's the rest of verse 7. So if we could turn to that section, 7b. So 7a was just like, and to the church that is located at Philadelphia, say, and then Jesus says, here's a preamble. Now, before I lose the teenagers in the crowd, too late, but before we lose the teenagers in the crowd, let me get you to understand something about preamble. We can just say to you, preamble is like the famous preamble from the Constitution of the United States. It's that thing before. But what is the preamble? The preamble is, before I can give you all that, I need to give you some information about this. I'm gathering information. I need to give you some background. So, a year ago, August, we're taking the family in the van to own sound, three hours north, to the gravesite of my dad. He passed away in January. This is August. And we're on his birthday, August 28th. We're going to go to the actual gravesite. we got the whole car full of, uh, with family. like We've got three kids, and then the aunt, and then my mom, and me and Beth. We're driving along. So we're just, this is a great time, family time, whatever. We're driving along, and some teenager in the very back <laughs> says, Hey, Dad, was Grandpa born in own sound? No. Every parent that has a teenager, every teenager in the crowd, a simple yes, he was, or no, he wasn't. Oh, no, it's time for a preamble. I need to communicate in this very controlled, trapped environment about your grandfather. So I don't start, like, here, time. Oh, no, 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 no. no! Born in 1932. And so I provide what I believe to be useful, extensive background information about whether or not my dad was born at On Sound. And then I will say, no, he wasn't. (laughs) Well, by the time I start getting into my uh, my preamble, we've lost the teenagers at the back. They're like, okay, this is going to be lengthy, and this is going to get complicated. But I got it out. I got my preamble out. Now, that's kind of a creative way to tell you, this is what the Son of God, Jesus through the author john wants to communicate to the church at philadelphia before i can give you your six promises because maybe the six promises aren't going to land on you very strongly but you got to know who's delivering the six promises number one i am holy number two i'm a true one and number three i hold the key of david that no one will open a door or close a door that i will not shut And the people in the church at Philadelphia go, going, wait, 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 what would you say about a door? You have my attention. You're talking about a door. And they also say, wait a minute, I recognize that thing about the key of David. What are you talking? I know that. I've been studying my prophecy. 700 years ago, Isaiah talked about that. Let's go there. Let's see that. Let's turn to Isaiah 22, 22. It's on the screen. And it's there. Jesus says, If I've said, I know your works, I'm aware, here's the second A. Let me give you a few of my attributes. Number one, I'm holy. Every good Jewish believer at that time would have known only God is holy, God himself is speaking. He is the true one. What he says is going to be true and honest. And number three, he says, he who holds the key of David. That sounds like Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two. And in that context, there is an unfaithful steward, someone in charge of the key of the palace of David, who's going to be replaced. He's got sacked. He's been unfaithful. He's been doing his job well. His name is Shebna. And Shebna is being replaced by a guy by the name of Eliakim. And in the verse just prior to 22:22, 22, 22, in verse 21, it says, this Eliakim, who's going to have the key, this Eliakim will be what? He will have a sash around him. He will have a cloak. And he will have the authority. We get that. Your places of work, you have a key to get in. It gives you authority. Certain places, certain places. That's what it means to have the key. You have authority. Now watch how it describes it here. This key in verse 22 says this. It says, and uh, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. Time, time, time. (laughs) The key, Like isn't it just the key you give to the neighbor two doors down when you're on family vacation to take and feed the cat? That key, you're going to just tape it to your... No, no. This is a big, large, wooden key because this is the key you need to take off Eliakim and you need to take it and you need to put it into the big part of the the gates there and you need to lift up the metal bars that are going to open up the gate because when you do that, you stick it in, your job is to do what? You are either going to grant or you're going to deny access to the presence of the king. And Jesus is saying to the church of Philadelphia, I am the one who holds the key. 700 years earlier, they're prophesying about me the Messiah. That I will be the one who will usher you into the presence of God. Me. God, the holy, the true one. I hold the key. Do you understand that? Church of Philadelphia, you need to understand it is me who is speaking to you, and I want to speak to you and give you six promises, six promises. Now, these six promises are going to come to you in this sort of framework, six promises. Jesus says, I know your situation. I know that you have this situation, and I will do something for that situation. Isn't that great? Again, kids asking parents for a solution. And when you actually can help them for the actual thing they're asking your help for. That's great. So God says, I'm aware of your situation. I'm bringing my attributes. I'm bringing my authority. And I'm going to provide you six promises. And they're all going to run like this. They're all going to run like this. So let's start with promise number one of these six promises. And it says, I know that you have blank. And then you just see, this is what it's going to look like. So here's promise number one. I know that you have, go ahead, Tosh. You have no opening into the synagogue. You've come knocking at the synagogue door. They peek out. They say, no, no access. And God says, no, I will, I will do what? I will give you access. I will open a door that no one can shut. Let's look at that in verse number eight. I know your works before behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Go ahead there. Yeah, there it is. I know your works, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. There's, that's where the furnace door came from, right there. You have no access, you're feeling alienated, church at Philadelphia. I'm coming to give you an open door. In fact, I am the open door that I'm gonna give to you. Now this sounds a lot like Colossians chapter four, verse three, if you can turn there, Colossians 4, three about this idea of the door at the same time pray also for me that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ an account of which I am in prison this is Paul writing to those in Colossae now some have said you know this is the same door you know maybe secondarily that's the second door like it's it's evangelism it's outreach pray for me that there be an open door yes Philadelphia continue to reach out This is actually God saying, no, no, no. It's bigger than that. I am the actual, the, I have brought you to salvation. I, I am the one who brings you into the presence of God and you will have eternal life because I'm going to bring you into the presence of God. I am going to provide that for you. And so, <laughs> Jesus says, promise number one, cheer up be encouraged. You have no access into that local church or local synagogue, but I'm going to open up a door for you. In fact, I've done that. I've brought you into the presence of God and no one can close that door of salvation that I've opened up for you. Promise number two. And again, it's the same framework. Jesus says, okay, I know your situation. He says, I know that you have what? This is a pretty dramatic one. I know that you have enemies that you think you worship a false god. And I will make them know that I love you and that I am your God. Let's look at that. Verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. What's going on here? Jesus is acknowledging that these believers have enemies. And he's quite dramatic with the language that they are working for Satan. And that these Jews are actually instigating persecution and oppression from the Roman authorities against these Christians. Doing the work of the devil. And then he says they're, they're lying about who they are. They're lying. They say they're Jews, but they're not. Now, this is a bit of that Romans chapter 2, verse, uh, and Romans chapter 9, where Paul's talking about the, Rom- the Romans. Yes, you may be a child of Abraham, physical descendant, but you are not a spiritual child of Abraham. You're not. And this is about Jesus saying to them, these Christians who are swimming, saying to them, listen, listen, there will be a day of vindication. A day will come where the true followers of Jesus will be welcomed into my kingdom. That day is coming. Right now you're feeling alienated and excluded and mocked, but that day is coming. Now, some take this passage And they ask the question, will there be this massive conversion of the Jewish people at the end times? I I don't know. Some people think that. Some people don't. As you start to read and understand, there's two sides to that. (laughs) But the, the point of all that is that there is going to be a day that you are welcomed, Church of Philadelphia, into my presence. And that's that language there. I will make them come and bow before your feet. These good Christians in the early church who had read their scriptures, hear that statement, and they will come and bow at your feet. What automatically comes to their mind? What comes to your mind? Their hero, Joseph, and the multicolored jacket, robe, and the brothers put him them, put them in for danger of death. And he goes to Egypt and he's a ruler and then they come and eat food and they they bow before him and he gives it to them. And then at the end, when dad dies, it's like, okay, Joseph's gonna, no, come here, come here, come here. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. They're encouraged that there's gonna be a day of vindication, that my enemies who recognize that I'm worshiping a false god, that in fact, there will come a day where they will know I am the true God that you are worshiping and that I love you. Next promise. Promise number three. I know that you've endured many trials. I'm aware of that. And I'm going to keep you from the evil one. I will keep you from the evil one. This is verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Those of you who are students of the end times, this is a big verse. That during the end times, that there will be this intense period of tribulation this hour of trial that it says there in verse 10. And this could be that hour of trial, that great tribulation. And Jesus is saying, if you understand that you're going to before the trial of tribulation, that big tribulation, you hold the position that as a church, a community of believers alive at that time, Christ's return. At that moment, the church, not just you, but the church will be raptured before the tribulation. And that's a text that those who believe that would go to. Others have the opinion or the thought or the understanding that that actually is a specific historical to that church at Philadelphia and that Roman world at that time. So whether you're you're on that side or on this side, the, the truth is that Jesus is going to protect us from the evil one. Where does that sound like? John chapter 17 verse 15. Let's turn there. John 17 15. That same phrase is there. I will keep you from the hour trial to keep from John 17 15. This is Jesus in his high priestly prayer. He's praying for them. He says, uh, he says, God, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The promise is there that we will be overcomers by his grace and he will protect us from the evil one. Promise number four, verse 11, I know that you are what? You're weary and you're barely hanging on. I will see that you don't lose your crown. Verse 11, this is a great verse. I am coming soon, period. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast. Hang on tight. Don't give up. This is a great encouraging passage of Scripture for a small church. Hang on. Stay in community. Encourage one another. There's a crown that's going to be available and given to you. Be encouraged. Stand fast. This is a continual command. Keep standing fast. Keep hanging on. Hold on tight. Promise number five. I know, little church, you are weak and you're wobbly. I will make you a pillar. Now, again, earthquake zone, lots of pillars. Pillars are sturdy, strong beams. And little church, everybody thinks you're insignificant, you don't matter. But I come to you and I proclaim over you, I say to you, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. I'm already the gatekeeper from the earlier passages that says, I will open a door that no one will close and close a door that no one will open. I'm that gatekeeper. And once I'm there into that kingdom, in my kingdom here, I'm now going to take you and I'm going to make you these pillars, these very significant pieces of sturdy beams that are going to support everything else. What a great encouragement. Again, I'm weak, I'm wobbly. I'm going to put you into that place. Promise number six I know that you are feeling rejected. I will give you the name of God. Verse 12. Picking up from the promise number five, it says there, verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. There's the first my. Count the number of my in this verse. Spoiler alert, there's five of them. That's your first one. Verse 12. Here's verse 13. Never shall he go out uh, pardon, we're still in verse 12, never shall he go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Someone put it this way, you know, this is sort of the time of are back to school. Students have gone. Some students have actually come back from school. They've been there. This is the break. You come back for, for, for uh, Thanksgiving. And they're always trying to get the freshmen to do what? Buy our merch. We want you to say Western. We want you to say like whatever in the name, and you put it on there. And it's the idea of when you get to heaven, Jesus, like we got merch for you. We're gonna put your my name is gonna be on that. You're You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. Unionville Alliance, as a church, you yourselves as individuals in this church, does that give you courage? It should. Because <laughs> God, son says, I see you. I know your works. I know you're struggling. I know you're weak. I know you're insignificant. I know you're marginalized, mocked but I want to give you these six promises and I'm going to be able to deliver on every single one of them. Cause I am what? Holy true. And I hold the key of David and I will open a door for you. Now, as we finish up, Words that the teenagers in the crowd like to hear. Two concluding statements. Statement number one, let the church be the church. What does that mean? Sometimes the church tries to do too much. And people can say, you know, I don't need to go to that actual community. I can get it on my own. I can buy a self-help book or something like that. I can do other things. I don't need the church. And then the church is trying to pull them in and they're trying to do creative things and maybe start to do stuff. Someone put me on to this uh, quote from David Wells, who's a professor, author, writes about the church quite a bit. And in this theme of let the church be the church, let me read it to you. The moment of the church's greatest influence, and in fact, its greatest moments that have been those when the church reached for worldly power, have not been those moments or when they've adapted to its culture, but it's been when they sought to do what? To be authentic. The church has been the most influential in those moments when contrition reached down deep into its soul. When its known weakness had cried out from the depths to God, when it sought to live by God's truth on God's terms, when the church sought to proclaim that truth in the world, when it will be willing to pay the price of having that kind of truth when it was willing to demand itself to live by that truth, when it sought above all else, God's grace and his glory. At such moments, that's when the church soared and out of its own inherent weakness found extraordinary strength and power. When all those things have been present in the church, the church has been the church. And then the second concluding statement comes to us, you've heard it maybe if you've looked at this passage before, Zechariah 4.10, don't despise the small things. There's a lot of faithful believers in this auditorium here this morning. I mentioned youth group of Union Alliance. I mean, you're still here faithfully serving. And for those younger along the way, this comes to us and says, little church of Philadelphia, little church of Unionville Alliance, don't despise the small things. Your days of faithfulness of all the small things. Because the context of this is that Zerubbabel is building the temple, and the people are taking, undertaking this massive construction event and they're, they're so frustrated, they're so discouraged and along comes Zachariah and says don't despise the small things, your little small things are going to add up to something because when you do that, you're actually going to have what? You can show it there do, go ahead uh, you're going to see Zerubbabel, he'll have the hand of a plumb line, he's actually going to be cutting the ribbon of the temple when it opens and how are you going to get to that? keep that image there you want that image because it's going to be your faithful, small things. This is not a good works, so you've got to do all this stuff. It's just the faithful things you do every single day, getting into God's word, praying with believers. What comes to your mind? The small things you've done day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. That's... The promise and the command of Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. Hold on, hold fast for the crown. Keep pressing on, Unionville. Press on. May we be encouraged by this little church that got no condemnation, the church at Philadelphia. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your word. And we're grateful that uh, within your word, there is truth that we can be encouraged and challenged by. And today on this Thanksgiving weekend, we're full of joy in our hearts for all that you've done for us. And so help us, help us as a church, help us individually. We're grateful that you do know us. You're aware of our situation. And you provide us with promises that we can take hold of and believe. And as we move through this week, continue to give us our strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.